Uh, it's very professional, Jay. This will be the most professional podcast you've ever been on. Here we go. Oh, hi, you're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, Jay Light, originally from Dallas, Texas. Jay is a stand-up comic, TV writer, and producer for shows you already watch and love. Jay can be seen pre-COVID, touring the LA comedy clubs, and has toured all over the country. He was also chosen to be featured at South by Southwest. If you live in LA or have lived in LA or are familiar with, I don't know, Comedy Central, you may have seen him on Roast Battle and watched him win a few times. If you have HBO or know even what that is, you may have also seen him on Project Greenlight. I could keep going about his TV credits, but you're going to think I'm lying and it's going to be annoying, so I'll move on. As for his voice, you may recognize that from his very popular podcast entitled Blockbusting with Jay Light, where he invites top comics and filmmakers to discuss industry news and box office results, which I imagine is quite interesting at the current time in history. I better know Jay from passing each other in the halls of the comedy club where he used to work and I used to work. And when he left, he went on to go be a full-time TV writer and comic. So now I get to talk to him. Jay, tell us what's your deal? What got you into comedy? Hello. Oh my God. Hi. <laughs> first of all, first and foremost, yes. it's great to, uh, it's great to see you, you again too. and hear you. Yeah, I mean, so I I started, I got into comedy. I thought, I didn't think that comedy could be a career, like that stand-up could be a career for a long time. I loved telling jokes and I was definitely a class clown, even though I was more of an on the awkward side as a kid. I had a friend of mine who I did theater with. I was a theater and speech and debate kid. And so I had a friend of mine, our senior year of high school, he bought the Comedy Bible, which is a classic Judy Carter book that a lot of comics and people who've taken a stand-up comedy class probably have in their libraries. And it said uh, one of the tips was to get a comedy buddy to do open mics and write jokes with. And so I volunteered to be his comedy buddy and then... You know, almost 10 years later, here I am. Is, is he still your comedy buddy? I mean, he's still a great friend. He he doesn't do comedy anymore. He mm. uh, he quit a while ago as far as stand-up goes. Because stand-up, I mean, stand-up's such a grind and it's oh. so unforgiving for a very long time. And he it's not for everybody. So he's still one of my best friends. Still super funny, still one of the funniest people that I know, but no longer a stand-up cop. So what was the transition? Because uh, you're probably the first guest I've had on that has admitted or at least shared that they went from theater, speech, debate, that kind of that world into stand-up because those would be those are considered, in my opinion, kind of like a biker gang versus a knitting club. Right. So what got you into the biker (laughs) gang from the knitting club? Well, I got there. I had you know, once he picked up this book, it was the very end of our senior year of high school. He got, uh, we both got little moleskin notebooks and we were starting to write jokes in them. And then one day I did an open mic, a friend of mine in college asked me to go with him to this open mic and he was a musician. He just wanted to recruit me to play like an acoustic cover of uh, Hey Ya by Outkast. <laughs> sure. And I I was like, sure, I'll go. And then I saw that it was a, a mixed open mic and there were people doing music and poetry. And I was like, you know what? I have these jokes. I'll try out stand up. And it was not horrible. And I think that's all you need your first time on stage to ever be is not the worst. Yeah. Right. Um, though, I mean, I, that was, I was 18 years old. The first time I was ever doing a, a stand up set, I didn't really take up doing comedy in earnest until I was 20 years old, uh, uh-huh. just cause there's a lot of fear in terms of like, you know, me getting my actual jokes on stage and places to perform. But once I started getting into it, the North Carolina comedy scene where I started out, there's a, a lot of really good, interesting places to perform. People were super cool to me. I tried my best while I was out there to be cool back. Once I realized that like being sort of weird and standoffish didn't really get you very far. (laughs) What? uh, That's weird. Yeah. Surprise. (laughs) Being the guy at the open mic who's like sitting by himself and not looking at anybody and just writing his, his joke book. It's not how you make friends. It's weird. Or advance in a comedy scene. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I, I got in there that way. And then when I graduated, I was I, I had a film degree. So I figured I'd either move to L.A. or New York to work in production and do uh, like PA gigs and work 
comedy, uh, you know, do open mics and shows and stuff when I could. But then I wound up working at comedy clubs instead of uh, anything else. So it just kind of worked out to being in that side of the world of, uh, of stand up sure. instead of coming through the other way. So I just want to interrupt for a second because we actually have a lot of listeners in North Carolina. He, uh, not to speak for you, but Jay's a graduate of Elon. So I know, oh, yeah. yeah, I have actually a couple of friends that graduated from there. So shout out to Elon and everybody that's shout going out. there. And so yes. you you got a theater degree from Elon or I'm sorry, no, a film a, degree. A film degree. degree. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so then what made you decide? So you said you were working in comedy clubs. Why then LA over New York? Because as far as we all sort of gossip about the cities, New York is way more known for stand up, even though LA has a massive scene. See, that's the thing is I thought because with the film degree, I figured if I was going to be trying to work a day job, working at comedy clubs didn't occur to me as like a path in because I didn't really know about the whole comedy club culture. Really, that wasn't how I came up in North Carolina. I didn't start working in comedy clubs as an employee until I moved to LA. But when I moved to LA, I was like, well, you know, I'll work in production. I'll be a PA, I'll, you know, location scout or something. And I did for the first job I ever had in LA, I did work as a a PA and a location scout and like talent driver for a super duper indie feature film. But then I got a job at Flappers in Burbank like a month or two after I moved to L.A. And so I just stuck it out from there. Okay, so now I I know you from a different comedy club. So what got you out of Flappers and to become and we'll get into the specifics of like breakdown of jobs and stuff. But I imagine there was some sort of organic transition from Flappers to the comedy store. Or is that was that your job right after? Okay, pretty much. I did. And, you know, I got to the point working at the at Flappers when I was basically just they they were trying to advance me to become like a manager, oh. like a like a like a floor manager. And I just didn't I wasn't interested in that. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, maybe I should try and figure out a way out. And I had been approached by people who worked at the comedy store who I'd become friends with. And they're like, hey, there's door guy spots that are opening up. Maybe you should try and make one of those. And I'd already put in my two weeks at Flappers not thinking that I, you know, not assuming that that was going to be the option, like assuming, oh, I'm going to go right to the comedy store. That's <laughs> not what I thought. I had like other PA gigs lined up. I was going to be like a set photographer for some music videos and stuff. But then the timing just worked out. I, I just wound up in the right place at the right time. The booker had seen me a few times. Literally the day after I put in my two weeks at Flappers, Tommy, the old booker of the comedy store, called me to hire me. To work the door. So it was just serendipity, right place, right time, right circumstances. Which is obviously meant to be. Can you explain a little bit for our audience? Because I don't know that everybody totally understands the process of why you would need the booker to see you to just work what would conceivably be a security position as a door person at a club. What does that mean? Sure. Yeah. So working at the comedy store as a door guy is long, you know, in the history of the club as known as this position where young comics work at the club in order to get basically uh, stage time. You know, you're performing on potluck and other shows. And then you also get access to other comedians because a lot of the comics who work at the comedy store as performers, as paid regulars, also have a history of working the door either at the LA comedy store, the La Jolla comedy store, or some of the other ones back in the day that existed in like Las Vegas or Westwood. So there's a definite camaraderie at the comedy store between the comics because they all know, Oh, they're door guys. They're comics too. Maybe I'll take them out on the road. Maybe I'll hire them to work on my television show, that kind of thing. So working there I mean, I always have looked at the comedy stores like grad school for comedians. Mm -hmm. Once you get a job there, you know, you're getting paid, but you're also getting stage time and you get to interact with these comics who have worked in the industry and know what it's like to be at your level as opposed to, you know, other comedy club jobs in L.A. and outside of L.A. where it's not necessarily like the comics are working there in order to advance in your career. Like if you get a door guy job at the store, you basically are like that's your foot in the door. So what it was, it was really great. 
So I've heard Josh Wolf and, and Justin Martindale have both called it sort of comedy school because you're also watching sets. But I would imagine as a door person, you get into a position where you're like, oh, they're about to do this joke set up. Oh, there it is. And there's the punchline and we're moving up. Does that did that grind ever was it sort of I don't want to use the word boring, but did it start to become like, OK, I got the comedy school. I understand how this works. This is no longer helpful. Or did you find watching people at that level was always helpful? I always found it helpful to watch people, uh, no matter what the level of the comedian was, because sometimes you get stuck working a bringer show with largely terrible comedians and you can <laughs> see what people are doing wrong. Okay. And most of the shows that you're working as a door guy are the professional shows, you know, in the original room in the main room where you're seeing comics who've been doing it for a lot longer than you in most of those cases. Sure. Working the room, doing jokes, doing crowd work. And it's always great to watch those guys, you know, develop new material and, and work out new uh, jokes or, or to perform old jokes. And you see them do old jokes in different ways and the way that they work with structure, um, the way that some comedians work with performance in addition to their jokes. Because that was that was a really like interesting thing for me is I always approached stand up from a writing perspective. I love the craft of joke writing more than anything else. I think I, I love performing too. And I've had to learn how to be a better performer in order to grow as a comic, sure. but watching people perform in the different styles of all the different comics at the comedy store, really, I think that was the thing that I needed to see the most. Interesting. I don't think anyone I've, I haven't had anyone on that has said that yet. That's so good for you for being that vulnerable and knowing your own weaknesses and saying this is where I need some help. So, you, so you're sort of in the door door person grind. You're doing that. What gets you attached to roast battle? Because we've had other guests on who have talked about the phenomenal and just shocking longevity of the success of that show. So what how did you become affiliated with that if you were just, you know, taking tickets and seating people? Was it, oh, someone happened to see a set that you performed? Because I actually I need to ask this differently. Were you guaranteed uh, stage time in any of these rooms as a door person or were you just watching comedy the whole time? Well, so when you're hired as a door guy, the booker hires you because they want you to develop at the club. And so you get guaranteed stage time at least once a week at the potluck, which is the employee showcase, along with uh, the open mic. And then they have paid regulars after the employees go up. And then you're also put into the development system after a probationary period of, of you know, however long I, it's been I so long. Know. I don't know if the clubs change anything. Sure. But yeah, so the booker will allow you to call in for spots and you get spots. Kind of depends on how many are available, you know, because there's a lot of other comics besides just the door guys. There's employees or sorry, there's there's previous employees and and other comics who are in the development system who the booker is trying to develop to become paid regulars in that development system. So you're jockeying for spots, I think, on a on the best weeks available, it amounts to something like 20 something spots, maybe or 25, 25 or 30, maybe not just for you. You mean available total for to all the people being everybody developed. Okay. for all of the development comics. OK. Yeah. But that's the nice thing. So I got in, I was hanging out at the comedy store before I was a door guy, which is pretty standard. I think I was hanging out there as, as much as I could, given my work schedule at Flappers. But I started hearing about the roast battle because Frank Castillo, one of my best friends. Hi, Frank. And, hey, Frank. It's great. <laughs> he is Love a good Frank. Dad. I do too. Um, but Frank and I started working at the comedy store within two weeks of each other. But we had been involved with Roast Battle for a little bit longer than that. I think that us being around the club and being known commodities, Frank from Roast Battle and then me just by by proxy of like other people knew who I was because I was hanging out. Because this is back when Roast Battle was still just an open mic. Oh, I forgot Not, that that was true about the show. Yeah. Oh, so, no. I mean, I the first six months that I was hanging out at the store, Roast Battle wasn't really a full-fledged show. It was busy. It was crazy packed because all the comics were coming to hang out and watch it. And then they started having judges come through. But by the time I became a door guy, it had really just started to become a, a, a show show properly. And so I really, I, I lucked into being a part of Roast Battle at such an early stage in its formation. It's another one of those right place, right time things, because then I became such a, a part of the Roast Battle crew that I was basically guaranteed to get a spot on the Roast Battle 
stand-up show That's before awesome. the actual battles, even though that wasn't a spot that was necessarily available as like a development spot for a long time. That's lovely. And so, so you're sort of, you're on that path, you're getting associated with that show. Mm-hmm. What was the transition? Because that show went from you know, just in the theater space onto a network. And I don't, not, not the nitty gritty of like, how does a show get to a network? Nobody cares. But how did you get associated with the, because I mean, it's not always a guarantee if a show gets picked up that the people that were on the show originally are going to be front facing in front of the camera. So how, when did you have an inkling that you might go onto the network? I got all credit to Brian Moses for that. You know, he's the, he's the host of the show. He's the mastermind behind the the majority of the way it, it has played out over the course of the past seven years. And because of him and him vouching for my talent, my ability, he, that's the only reason that I think I made it onto TV. You know, I, I, I saw lots of great comedians who'd done the roast battle and who were a part of it, not necessarily get passed over just because, you know, there's only a certain amount of spots, spots. for TV anyway. Sure. I was just, I was fortunate enough that I think being such an integral part of the show and having been around and worked for it as hard as I, as hard as I was for the time before it became a TV show, that was, uh, that's what I think led to a lot of it. I mean, obviously I wouldn't, I don't think I didn't deserve it. I think I was certainly like putting in the work and putting in the effort and I'd shown that, but it, it is just a large degree. I mean, this is how the industry works, right? It's like your talent's there. And if you're talented, cool, but you also definitely helps to know yep. the people who are on the inside. Yep. Having Moses know, like, mm-hmm. he's working really hard. He's going to put in, he's going to put on a great performance and and make this worth your time to have him on the show. That helped out a lot. Well, and I think it's interesting because you're describing a situation where hard work, preparation, and loyalty all came into to play. And I think mm-hmm. the misconception of the industry is that none of those things can have a marriage, like they, that nobody's loyal, nobody looks out for one another, and you can just grind your ass off and no one ever sees it. it you just described a situation where that marriage happened, and it's yeah, great. I think it's pretty rare for stuff yes. like that to happen. Yeah, but I would agree. It does. And yeah. Uh, being, I mean, being in the right place at the right time it certainly is a big factor, but also like you have to be prepared <laughs> to, to be at that place yeah. or else you're just going to squander the opportunity. And mm-hmm. then what's the fucking point of being at the right place at the right time? There isn't one really. So, exactly. so what got you, so you, you get that opportunity and then I would describe you as one of the lucky few people that got out of customer service altogether. So what got you to decide all right, no more, not necessarily no more customer service because we'll get into that later, but like no more comedy store. I'm I'm now, I have enough opportunities where I no longer need to be supplementing my dream. I get to go ahead and live my dream. It was, I mean, it was a tough decision and I don't know why it was so tough. I think I was just beating myself up about it a lot because sure. I had gotten to a point where I was working at the comedy store still and then also working in writer's rooms on television shows. I don't know how you were doing both. I just I don't have a clue. Modafinil helps. Getting a, prescri- <laughs> getting a prescription to like regulate your sleep and stay awake when you're not supposed to be awake. Drugs. That helps. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Drugs okay. and gumption. That's what got me there. Um, I, uh, I mean, I did, I think it was like the my last full year working at the comedy store, I worked on three different television shows. <sighs> and then- I was getting to a point where it just started to wear on me and I was so like physically tired. That would have been a, a, I, four days for me. And I would have been like, I'm out. You, you started to wear on you after a year, Jay. Oh God. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> well, I remember I started to, I was getting like nervous about what was going to happen because I kept having to call off shifts at the store. Oh. And I was like, am I going to, am I, are they going to like be mad at me if I keep, and I know they wouldn't care, but that was yeah. like my own fear getting in the way of just like saying this hey it's time it's Mm. time to just take take the fucking leap dude sure and i i i had a phone conversation with with a friend of mine jaron horton you know so i got last uh last february i got a job working on masterchef as a writer awesome i didn't know that yeah and that was the that was the catalyst because i i knew it was going to be a full-time job for several months because they had me working on MasterChef and MasterChef Junior that season. Aww. 
And I called like I called Moses and I called Jerron and Jerron was the person who he and I had been friends for a long time. He had gone through the same getting out of working at the comedy store because of television writing. And so I called him. I was like, hey, man, what was your thought process? Like, when did you know you had to quit? And he basically told me he was like, I don't know why you haven't quit already because you (laughs) you have like a job in hand. When I quit, I was just I'd like had a job and I was just hoping that I was going to get another one. Like you have something. So you should just take that and take it and run. Yeah. And then so I was like, I feel really stupid now. But okay, you're right. You're 100 percent right. But I also think that was I did that. The comedy store also, though, has this sort of weird vortex that happens there where it's it's easy to believe its own hype and think, oh, this is the only thing that matters. And yes. I think some comics get in that mindset. And I think if you're surrounded by other people who think this is the only club, this is the only opportunity, then you run into when it is actually time to to give your body a break. And when you have another financial avenue that is actually part of your dream, then it is hard to make the cut. So you're not crazy. I think it. I think it's sort of circumstance and environment that would have supported you grinding yourself into a pulp and just being like, well, right. no, stick around. Why? How could you leave? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love. That's the thing is, I love the comedy store, and I. I also even before I stopped working there as a door guy, I knew that it wasn't the only game in town. But it is once you're there all the time, it really like gets in your head. Sure does. And then you have to just like, you ha- I had to find a way to reckon with my relationship with the comedy store after that, mm-hmm. because then I started going back and I was like not getting as many spots, which is a totally natural and normal, normal thing. Yeah. But I was like taking everything personally. You know? And then after I was like, this isn't about me. This isn't a, this isn't like a vendetta that the fucking <laughs> building has against me. Well, actually, Jay. <laughs> Are you, to, are you a medium? I'm here to tell you. The building? Yeah. The ghosts were pissed at you. You you left. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't have told all those ghost stories about the comedy store. Then. Oh, boy. They fucking knew it. I just, I think it's just one of those things where like now that I have, I, I'm glad that I had that distance from the comedy store because I still love it. And I do, it, it'll be my home club for as long as I'm probably in L.A., but I don't I, I'm glad that I have the distance so I can remember, oh, yeah, this is great. But it's not the only game in town. Mm, I think that's an important transition. Well, good for you. So you're you're one of the lucky ones that got out. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed your apps. We're going to go on to the entrees after a quick break. We're back and now it's time for the entrees. Okay, Jay, this is the speedy speed route of questions. I ask everybody basically like the same the same style of questions. But if you think of any stories, feel free to tell them that's not I'm not holding you to the watch and being like, shut the fuck up. So all right. So what was your first job ever, ever, ever? And it doesn't have to be customer service, but just your first job where you received money for services. I was a little league umpire when I was thirteen years old. Okay. And what what did that entail? And 13, my God, like God love Texas. There's no child labor laws. Apparently. No child labor laws. Okay. Yeah. It's the blind leading the blind, basically. Because <laughs> I was, because you, when you're a little league umpire, you're not, when you first start out, you're only in charge of t-ball and sometimes coach pitch games. So it's like 13 year olds in charge of eight year olds, oh. but really you're in charge of the adult men who are coaching <laughs> the eight year olds. <laughs> and it's just not a good system. Like I... I worked there at this ballpark that was right by my house for like, not even a full season. Like, I think I quit after half a season of games before playoffs would have even happened just because I didn't, I loved baseball, but I was really bad at it. I'm not a good athlete. And I started hanging, I started like going to baseball games and like, I was like, it was like 10 bucks a game. So I was like, all right, cool. This is something you know, I can buy video games, you know, and the ump for five games, but it's just like the amount of adults yelling at you oh. because you made a call that they didn't like. I can't imagine who not. Yeah. Who yells at a 13 year old to be like that? That's that the logic is missing. A lot of dads, a lot of dads <laughs> do it. A lot of dads, a couple of moms. <laughs> <laughs> trying to and, get that college scholarship they're like it starts right. at eight it starts at and eight we care now <laughs> and 
blessed. All bad. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I got out of there. I mean, the best part of that job was like the free popcorn and that I could walk to my house. Mm, that's those are pretty killer offers for a yes. 13 year old. This is why child yeah. labor laws exist, because you can't you're like, of course, I'll do this. OK, how many customer service jobs have you had total and feel free to count and we get Let's you can see. list them all if you want. Uh, I have had I worked as a waiter okay. at the Cannes Film Festival. Oh, my God. That's awesome. It was a weird position. It was a weird job. I worked. So my uh, between my junior and senior year of college, I had this internship with this company called the American Pavilion, which has basically like uh, operates like a hospitality tent at Cannes. Wow. And a lot of the jobs there, when you're an intern there, it's all service industry jobs. It's all waiter or bartender. And so I was a waiter and it was really, it was like a weird gig, but I got tickets to go see the movies and I got to go to all these after parties. And Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Fun. Yeah. For yeah. networking, that's the shit. And yeah. but and like, who knew North Carolina had a pipeline into fucking the Cannes Film Festival? Who knew? Okay. Certainly not me. Um, All right, so, so I worked that and then I worked at Flappers. Uh, okay. I was a box office door guy, box office manager there. Okay. And I'm, then I'm counting that as two jobs. So we're up to four because I count being a little league umpire because you had to deal with idiot dads. Okay. So we're up to sure. four. Keep going. Um, And then uh, Comedy Store. Dang on you. Okay. Well that, that rounds out at five and you have the smallest amount of customer service jobs of any of my guests. So good for you. (laughs) That's awesome. Although they were long-term, you're a loyalist. These are not like minus the umpire situation. Okay, great. Yeah. Comedy store five years. It's a long time. The longest I've ever worked at a single location. Oh, that's a long time to deal with that aspect because we'll get into it, but customer service there is rough. Mm. So of those five, because don't say comedy or TV writing, which has been your favorite job of those? I mean, of those five, the comedy store, for sure. Okay. Just because I, it's the kind of place where like, even when it was bad or like a bad work day, mm-hmm. it was at least interesting. Like I would have days <laughs> at some facts. of these other jobs where it was just <laughs> boring and nothing happened. Like most of the time that I was at Flappers, everything was really just like benign and a couple of just shitty days and a handful of pretty decent days. The comedy store was way more peaks and valleys, but at least the valleys were interesting. Cool. Like there was some shit going on. Like the forest <laughs> was on fire, but Always. it was in the valley. So it's like, it's okay. <laughs> I get to watch some cool scenery. Okay. Before I ask my next question, what, so I guess they're, I mean, they're both comedy clubs. So why was, or why do you think maybe cause it's on the sunset strip, who knows, but why do you think the comedy store is per, just perpetual chaos in my opinion? And that the, and that flappers was kind of just net neutral. I think it's because really only because flappers was in the suburbs. Flappers was in Burbank. <laughs> Burbank's boring as hell. Like we, the the only time we had anything exciting happen at Flappers was when we had Christmas parties there oh. because then all these corporate people would come and get crazy drunk. We had to kick a lady out one time. I think it's actually the only time I ever had to kick somebody out at Flappers. Wow. And uh, she got wasted and it was the middle of the afternoon. It was like four o'clock maybe on a, on a Friday or Saturday. So daylight outside. Sure. Um, she's furious, wasted. We're kicking her out. And she's like, I've never, I'm make, I'm a casting director at Warner <laughs> Brothers. I'm going to make sure you never work in this town ever again. Oh, and I was like, I already don't work in this town. Like I'm not doing anything. <laughs> and so we kick her out and then she is yelling at us because the, the front door of Flappers has this big set of windows that looks out onto the, uh, the crosswalk. Okay. And so her friend, we had to get her friend to come and like escort her out and take her home. And her friend is like holding her back while this lady is still just like yelling at us from the crosswalk. She's like, you fucking asshole. <laughs> Dude, this is kid. And it was just so, but oh you know, God, that's hilarious. that was like the only time that ever happened. Otherwise it's pretty much sleepy. You know, people coming in to watch their friends tell jokes or occasionally go watch like Rob Schneider. So it whoever. it doesn't have necessarily the same draw of comic name or didn't when you worked there or is it it's it's again it's just a suburb so it's not a destination for people walking up and being like I'm going to get rowdy here I yeah, go. Yeah, it's okay. a it's a tourist ter- trap at the comedy store. Like yeah. the end of, it's it's part of the Sunset Strip. I experienced, you know, there's a club that I went to um a handful of times in Austin, Texas called uh, the Velveeta Room. And the Velve has a different clientele than the other club in Austin, Cap City. 
because Cap City is sort of like flappers in that it's in it's in Austin, but it's like a suburb. You have to drive to get to it. The Velve is on sixth, you know, so it's the streets are blocked off. It's crazy. All these people coming in. Comedy Store and The Velve both attract the same sort of like drunk tourist energy. Uh, but the Comedy Store also has the benefit of being the place where like the biggest names are coming to perform too. So sure. you get cool comedy fans, just like The Velve will get cool comedy fans, but you'll also get a fuck ton of like drunk idiots uh, or people who are just like, oh, I know where this place is. I saw it on E! True Hollywood Story. <laughs> Let's go there. I don't know what comedy is, but we'll find out. Sure. Oh, bless. Okay. Um. So of, of those five, what was your least favorite? Least favorite was, I mean, this is tough, but God, we got to go flappers. Just really? Because, yeah, it was just, I was working there. I think, I mean, I think back on it now and I think there was a lot of stuff like the management didn't, they didn't treat the comics who worked there like comics. Oh, wow. Which was weird. Like I remember, and I, and there was a time when like the comics would be having uh we were there all the time. I could barely do other open mics and stuff unless I had a day off because we had to go in at like three in the afternoon. And then we were there until 11 on the clock. Jeez. So it was like a full eight hour day some days. Oh, no, thanks. And I was there and you get off and you go do the open mic that's happening in the bar that night. And sometimes it's your only chance, but the person who's hosting the open mic will always let the employees go on basically whenever they want. But then what happened was at some point, someone in management was like, we can't do that. Why would, why, why are they going up? Why are they allowed to do that? Because and they work here, dumbass. We're like we work. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what? What, where it's just like I think the management uh, and this is again this is not a blanket statement about all of the management of Flappers just want to make that clear I'm not going to name names sure. but there are some people who worked there when I worked there who had an eye for business mm. but not necessarily for like a customer service business like somebody who's very good technically but doesn't know how to talk to people. Mm. That was kind of what I ran into. EQ versus IQ. That's a real thing. People, some people don't have a balance of either. Right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I think if you're going to help run a comedy club, you should have a better idea of like what people. Yeah. Want. You could, you could actually be dumb. And like, I'm thinking of some people like you can be an actual dumb human. And if your EQ is high at a comedy club in particular, you're going to be beloved. People will just be mm -hmm. like, this person's amazing. Even if you don't know how to add two plus two, it's that's interesting. Right. Because comedy clubs are about people skills. First, first, first. Because comedy is about people skills. You, right. you, you can't shit on. Yeah, you can't shit on people and have fans. It's just not how it works. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so what was the weirdest thing that you've been asked to do whilst on the clock at any of these jobs? Um, you've gotten some good answers with this, so don't censor yourself. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, this is tough. Fuck! I'm trying to really think back. <laughs> Take your time. I've I I wasn't asked to do this per se, but like I knew I had to be involved in it okay. were the times when at the comedy store, I had to go twice to go on stage to keep somebody from attacking the comedian who is on stage. Are you kidding me? I, uh, not like, uh, they weren't like violent. They were definitely, but they were like going, something was going wrong, right? Like the first time it was with Moses and there was a guy, Moses was doing what Moses does, which is be very like edgy, satirical, talk about like the black experience in a very edgy way from his perspective. Moses is shorthand for Brian Moses for anyone that doesn't know. So Brian Moses, the Jay referenced earlier, that's a part of Roast Battle, who's a really nice guy, but also his brand of humor is unrelenting. Okay, go ahead, Jay. Sorry. Unrelenting is a great way to put <laughs> Moses's comedy. Yeah. And he was doing, he was doing his act. And then some guy who clearly was just like hearing buzzwords and not actually listening to the joke got walked onto the stage and oh tried to take the mic from Moses and was yelling, don't listen to this guy. He's a racist. What? You shouldn't Moses exactly. of all people, <laughs> of all people, a white guy going on stage. Sure. To do thanks this to thanks Moses, for taking up for it. <laughs> okay. Right. So God. I was the only person in the room. I was the only door oh. guy. I think it was, it was pretty late at night. So I think there were only a couple of us on the clock, but I went on stage and I had to like pull the guy off Moses and get to kick him out. Wait, so he physically, not only did he pull the mic from Moses's hands, he physically went after him. Yes. Oh, and then the second time was with Joe Rogan. Oh my God. And this was an early show. 
on uh, Saturday night when they would do the early show, the double dip in the yep. main room. Yeah. Guy comes on stage and he just, he, he's clearly like on some kind of drugs. Uh-huh. His pupils were huge. This is he Joe's wasn't audience. being threatening, but he went up to, he went up to Rogan and he started saying stuff about like how he was a big fan. And Joe, because he's a, he, he's a trained like jujitsu fighter, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Jujitsu. Uh-huh. Taekwondo, all that yeah. stuff. He grabs him and like holds him because afterwards he was telling us, he was like, I figured if he did try some crazy shit, like he's not going to do it. He can't do anything if I'm holding, holding on him. to him. He's right. So he grabs him by the waist and like holds him next to him. I get on stage and Hormoz gets on stage, another door guy. Yeah. And we both have to pull him off of Rogan and then <gasps> and then he gets kicked out too. So did, did cause I was saying I had uh, Earl Skakel, what up Earl? He was on the podcast, a different episode. And he was saying that he rarely gets heckled because of his size. Cause he's kind of bigger. And I, I had said to him on that episode, I've literally never seen Rogan get heckled and it must be because people know, you know, that he's a fighter. So it's interesting. So this guy's energy wasn't combative. It was, I'm out of my mind. I just want to get a taste kind of thing. Or right. was it combative? Well, I think, I mean, there's a section of Rogan's audience that is <laughs> say it. Say it. real out there, <laughs> real into real into the DMT or the acid hey. or the psychedelics or whatever. On the reg. And they're, real, and they're into the conspiracy <laughs> theories and they're into the connections and they sure. think that maybe people like Rogan are talking directly to them. Directly to their faces. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was this guy. Like, this guy is one of those fans. And he was talking to Rogan came off stage afterwards and he was like, What yeah, up, man? I mean, I figure at this, at some point, this is probably bound to happen. So maybe for a little while, if you guys are on, if I'm on stage, maybe everybody should be in the room. We're like, Yeah, that's probably really, that's probably a really good idea. <laughs> now, was this pre security or was this security just happened to not be in the room? This was security just to happen to not be in the room. Ooh, and that's this tough. Was, this was, oh my God. This was, I mean, this, I can't believe I forgot about this. It's because it didn't happen. I was on the clock, but I was at the, I was at the store when the shooting happened. <gasps> oh my God, you were? Oh. I wasn't on the clock though. So I t- this, it technically doesn't count. But no, I was but there. say it though. You were. I had to perform. <gasps> Jay! I How- didn't even, this, cause it's like, okay. I'll talk about this. Okay, good. As much as you're comfortable talking about, because I never ask, because I know certain people were very affected by it. So I have to be, if any, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, you can Google Comedy Store Shooting for any details that Jay doesn't go into, because I'm not going to push him on this. So feel free to Google a situation that happened that was horrible and that the servers that and the bartenders and the comics that it, they, those that experienced it directly are still not super great about it. But go ahead, Jay, talk about whatever you're it comfortable was, with. It was a crazy night. I remember it was roast battle. It was a Tuesday and I was performing that night and <laughs> it's at the very end of the show at some point, like during the show, cause this was back when the roast battle was so busy that the back door in the belly room leading down to the parking lot, that was open all the time. Oh, cause and at some point during the show, there were people uh, who were sitting on the bench who were part of the wave who heard something like, I think Josh Meyerowitz was sitting there too. And he thought he heard something and so there was like a weird energy, but nobody was really doing anything about it at the time. And then after the show, Justin, one of the security guards, he came up and he told us there's been a shooting out front. We need everybody to stay inside. <laughs> and they closed the door and we all basically just were locked in. This is literally like the show has finished. We are done, but we couldn't hear the actual shooting happen because we were making people laugh. Nobody and, knew. And you yeah, were like hundreds of feet away and upstairs. You wouldn't have, yeah, you wouldn't have crossed over into that. So, so how long were you made to stay in that room? Like 20 minutes. Okay. So it had ha- it was like over and done with, but they just right. needed to keep you locked in. But they were like, we need to keep everybody here. And then they made us all file out. I mean, that was a crazy, that was a crazy time. The comedy story is just like a crazy place to work. Like, yes. That's how crazy it is. Is like the things that I'm thinking about happening on the clock. It's like, oh, maybe I had to pull a couple guys off of, the huge comedians. Oh, yeah. I forgot. There's also a shooting I was there for. <laughs> Maybe that's a thing. <laughs> what often happens with guests who are affiliated with the comedy store, I'll get texts later that were like, shit, I forgot to tell you this story. This is crazy. And it is a, an insane story. And I'm so mad we didn't get it on the podcast. I'm glad you at least thought of one. Is there yeah. any, is there anything else like where did you have to ever kick somebody out that you, or be help escort someone out who was fighting you or causing a scene or just being kind of insane? No, I, 
I luckily never had, I was there. I've been, there've been a lot of fights at the comedy store in my time. Yeah. I have never been involved in any of those. Oh, uh, so awesome. to my health and to your listeners detriment, I'm boring <laughs> as hell. Um, it's the nice I mean, guy face, Jay. That's your problem. You just look like yeah. a nice dude. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, uh, I got. Yeah, I, I get away with a lot because of this face. One of those <laughs> things is never being in a fight. <laughs> Facts. Okay. What's an incident? Well, I doubt. Just based off what we just discussed, I doubt this question will apply to you. But what's an incident that made someone that you interacted with at any of these customer service jobs ask to speak with your manager? I, I don't know if this would apply to you at all. Feel free to say never. Oh yeah, I mean there have been times when people would come up to the door guy who was working in the room at a show and be upset. Like, especially because hecklers would frequently be involved in a situation like this. There's one time that I do remember very vividly where it was another early show on a Saturday and there was a bachelorette party that had come in and bachelor and bachelorette parties notoriously universally true. Are terrible. The worst, the worst customers at a comedy show ever, ever. They think they're Always. part of it. You are not on the stage. Thank you. Go right. ahead. So, bachelorette party comes in, and they're all uh, they come in on a party bus. Come they're on, like, Jay Light, stop it. No, they're all like no. white women in their thirties. No. Stop and, and we're done. <laughs> and they all sit down on. Uh, they take up a bench, like because there's I think nine or ten of them in Oof. this party. Okay, and. One of them starts, they, they come in at the end of the first comedian. Uh, I don't remember who was on first that night, but they come in at the end. One of the one of the women in this party is a little loud. And we go up <laughs> to her and we have to tell her to, hey, please keep your voice down during the show. And then Steve Simone goes on stage. And Steve is, the nicest, as you know, the, the nicest. nicest human being. Ever. ever. Like the nicest ever. guy. Yes. And he goes on stage and this woman starts heckling Steve over Um, what how come what do you have to say to him it's the thing is I don't remember what she actually said I don't remember if it was something like people arguing about like if she was arguing with the server about like having to take a card or if she was like arguing with other people about like they came and told me to to quiet down I'm too loud I don't remember what it was, but I do remember that I had to watch Steve Simone, who's again, the nicest human being alive. Yeah. I had to watch Steve Simone deal with a heckler, which is not his wheelhouse, not because he doesn't get messed with. You would. That's the thing. He doesn't get messed with. But Steve is that's how good of a comic Steve is, is that he just like dressed her down in the (laughs) nicest way that I've ever seen a heckler be taken down because he's basically just like pitying her and the crowd is eating it <laughs> eating up. it up okay there, uh, he's just like talking about like how sad her life must be <laughs> and like how he's how she's ruining her friend's bachelorette party God. and she was yeah like, of course oh manager, she wasn't the bachelorette no she wasn't the bachelorette she wasn't even she wasn't even the maid of honor <laughs> What were you going to say? The manager what? <laughs> no, well, the manager came in because secure. We called security on her once she and Steve started going at it. Yeah, and we called security. Security. They got all of the rest of the party to leave, and she refused to leave. Of course, on principle. Of course, I think she was the one who'd put her card down for the party, mm. and so they were like, she was like yelling during the show. I refuse to leave until I get my card back. Meanwhile, what happened was we have the actual bachelorette out in the lobby of the main room. And she's just like beside herself. Mortified. Because her friend is ruining this, yeah. <laughs> this party. Yeah. She pays for everything. Oh she my God. pays for the entire, for the covering of the two drink minimum for everybody. Wow. And then I forget we had, I think it was Jen managing that night. Thank God. Yeah. Of all managers. Yeah. She handled it probably yeah. calmly. And Jen goes over and says, you're, tells her basically the situation that went down in the lobby. And then this woman finally leaves. But then she's still like trying to heckle Steve. And he's just like, he's nice, yeah. ruining her life. <laughs> and it's just great. Like, I love when somebody gets, when somebody thinks they're so in the right. Yes, yes. That they can't see how wrong that they're being. Yes. 100%. And that happens so much at comedy clubs. All I the think. all the time. 
all the time. The arguing over the two drinks, the like the 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 not accepting of the rules as they are, it's astounding. I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't understand it. I had a lot of people when I was working the door in uh and particularly in the belly room, which is the small upstairs room. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of shows there where it's comics who are new or people who are, you know, like an actor who like, oh, I, I decided I'm going to do a comedy show because my agent said to. And so they bring a bunch of friends and those friends will always try and film their friend, which is not allowed. You're not, not allowed. allowed to film stuff in the comedy store. In without any room. express permission from the club in any room. Correct. Exactly. And I would always go up to them and say, hey, sorry, you're not allowed to film in the club. And they would always always say no it's okay that's my friend <laughs> that line like i cannot always oh that line is used f- all the time all the time don't, don't worry i know fill in the blank oh it makes me homicidal so what would you say when it. when they would say would, oh that's my friend i would say something like cool <laughs> or good for you <laughs> or like that's great but you still you can't film in here. I love- and most of the time, yeah, after that, they would be like begrudgingly shut it down or, but I would, and then I would always call a manager upstairs just to be at the ready, just be like, Hey, I know that they're going to try and be like, let me speak to your manager. Yeah. Which happened. And then the manager would say the exact same thing that I had said, but from an older, wiser perspective that what and they weren't involved and they're in a they're right. in a button-up shirt not a not a t-shirt well exactly. it's during rogan people try to film all the time and we're supposed to call security but there was a time that a guy was seated at one of the circle tables that's like pressed up against the stage in the main room and i went up to him and i was like yo dude you can't you can't film this what and he was like Ugh, all right whatever so he puts his phone down he's still recording because he's trying to get the audio and i was like you have to hit stop and he was like I'm, I'm not recording. And I was like, see that little red light? I was like, that means you're recording. And so he stops it. And then I tell security and they're like, okay, we'll be at the ready. And then I go back to the table to get there to hand them their drinks that they had ordered. And he's doing it again. And I just was like, bro, you, you can't, you can't film. And he was like, I'm not the, the, the third grade argument of I'm not doing the thing you very obviously see me doing happens at the comedy store all the time, all the time, all the time. And it's like, also, we're all, well, a lot of us are sober. So no, 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 no. Like I can, my eyes work. I can. Anyway. Yeah. I see what's going on. Yeah. Oh. And like, and the other thing that drives me nuts is like, I didn't come to my job to get in an argument tonight. Like that's not my, my homeostasis is not like, I'm not ready for a fight always. I don't want to be. And so it's so weird when people come to the club as guests who are like, oh, no, no, here we go. I want to let somebody try and tell me what to do. Yeah. That's how, why do people go to comedy shows if they're going to be in a combative place? Yeah. If you're going to a comedy show, just be there to just laugh. Have, a, have a good time or at the very least just like neutral yes. and then maybe you laugh at some people maybe you don't laugh at other people yes well it's the same thing with the people that are doing blow in the bathroom and then go and sit down and it's like you're not you're at a club but you're not at a dance club so you're gonna go what sit down and like move your hands and sniff and like really want to stand up and then really need to sit down and really need and it's like bro that's that's a place you drink if you're gonna get altered or smoke weed but the coke right. experience i've gotten derailed okay so uh what's the last straw that got got you out of the comedy store or got you out of customer service altogether was it was there a moment because you had said you know your body was breaking down and you were getting tired but was there an incident where you were like and this guy is never coming back here again there was a moment when i i had already put in my two weeks at the comedy store and i was still feeling like nervous about it is because it was very fresh and then i worked the or one night the original room and I had to kick out a heckler and the experience. And it was somebody who heckled like it was Bobby Lee early on in the show. Cause Bobby's always going on before, you know, he's like 10 o'clock usually is like the latest he'll, he'll typically be going on. So this is early in the show, right? Like it's on not- a Sunday. Oh, come on, man. So come if you're on. acting this shitty this early on, like what the fuck is the rest of my night going to be like? <laughs> Also, what's your life? Right. Oh. And me and, 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 you know, full disclosure, me and Bobby had like sort of a weird history anyway, because I used to work phones at the comedy store also. And I did fuck up Bobby Lee's avails one time. 
So you made it. You made an. You made an error as a human being. How dare you? I made it. But that's the thing. Is like I made an error, and then I tried to cover up the error. Mm-hmm. It was just like I thought too fast, <laughs> and I didn't think of like what the consequences of that would be. <laughs> and so then me and Bobby had like weird. You know, we had, there's weird energy between us for a little bit, and this certainly did not help because then he's like, "Who the fuck is in the room?" <laughs> And I was like, it's Bo- I was like, Bobby, I'm handling. He's like, Jay, get her the fuck out of the room. <laughs> and so then as I'm literally like, you have to leave right now. And I'm calling security and they're coming in. And I li- I walk back as, so- as soon as security came and handled it. I was, I literally, I went back to the, to the cover booth. And all I could think was, I am so close to never having to do this ever again. Oh. And that was the moment where I became okay with, quitting working at the comedy store. Oh, so it was a good thing overall. It let you, (laughs) the morning period became very brief. (laughs) You were like, I'm good. Cause I miss, I mean, there are parts of the club that I miss. I miss the late nights, honestly, the hanging out, the camaraderie, the club is a fun place to hang out, but also like, you know, my body is (laughs) more important than that (laughs) stuff. And my sanity from like having to try and reason with hecklers and kick people out and oh. deal with all of the different egos of different comedians. Oh, come on. Come on, Jay. Say it again. Not for me. <laughs> Say Not for it me. Again. Okay. Have you have you personally ever told a customer to like fuck off or have you ever got gotten sort of out of line with a customer where you can look back and you're like, ooh, should have probably been fired for that one? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say no, truly. No, I mean I think there's cause that's the thing is like the comedy store as a as a job for a door guy, right? It kind of gets you to a point where you have to be standing up for yourself mm-hmm. and being assertive and saying no. Yeah. And there are times, I think there was a time when it was like, after a certain amount of time, like you have to either, you have to work really hard to sort of keep your humanity at the comedy <gasps> store. You have to fight. Door guy, you, have to right? you have to claw yeah. for it. Yes. Right. It's, as, a, as a server, I imagine you yes. deal with the same thing. Yes. But there's a time when I think I, uh, I, I don't remember when in my tenure at the store it was, but I swore at a customer. Woo, like Jay. I, I told them to like fucking cool it or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> And they got, I mean, they, they did, but afterwards I was like, I don't feel good about that. I don't like that. That interaction just happened. That wasn't fun. And that wasn't my best. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It does push you to a place where you're like, oh, I'm not my best self. And this doesn't feel amazing, even though I'm getting better at telling people to eat my ass or whatever. Okay. How many bodily fluids have been on your person whilst you were on the clock? Did you ever get puked on or anything there or peed on? I did get puked on. Hey, you're my my first guest. I have been puked on there too. And everyone's like, Kate, you're crazy. Nobody pukes on you there. Thanks, Jay. That was very affirming. Puke happens. I've had to clean up puke. I've had to clean up shit. I've had to clean up piss. Never had to clean up cum. Thank God. You know, people fuck at the comedy store. All the time. Um, I actually, one of my first nights on uh, <laughs> the first night that I ever was on television on for roast battle, mm-hmm. I had to work the OR and it was airing on, they were showing the roast battle episode on the patio. Okay. And somebody had puked on a table in the OR right by the window. Come on. So I had to clean up puke as I was watching myself on TV. On TV. Oh, Jay, the level of humility that requires. Right. And oh. meanwhile, Don Barris is on stage like, hey, you're supposed you're on TV tonight, right? <laughs> it's like, you're like, can you please shut up? <laughs> I don't need it, man. Wait, can so close the curtain. <laughs> Can I kill myself? Are we done? Um, how did when did someone actually physically like puke on you? What was that story? Um, that was oh god. I mean, that was probably fuck. Er, like early on in the store because I feel like I dealt with a lot more puke early on in my time at the comedy store because then they started implementing measures to keep people from being that drunk. Oh, weird. At the club. <laughs> weird. So, right. so you mean enforcing the law? Weird. Okay. Yeah. I've had people's, I've had uh, fellow employees puke on me. Oh, same. Jay, we're so similar. Me too. Mm, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Actually, but more yeah. more fellow employees than customers. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to, that was like, I think it was, it was really early on. I had maybe finished my training like a couple weeks before. And there was another, uh, one of the bartenders had, uh, it puked all, he was, he went and sat in the, one of the back booths. And he puked so much that it was like all over him and all over the table and like dripping down. So I was like cleaning it up. Jay gets on. I had puke on my pants. Oh, just like off the mic. I'm going to make you tell me who that was. I'll tell Um, tell you who after. Can't wait. Uh, Do you tip? 
Of course. Okay, how much? I tip, I tip, I mean, these days, because I'm doing a lot of like takeout, I tip as, as much as I can, which is like 25 or 30%. Wow. Okay. I usually, I mean, 20% is like my flat anyway, like a baseline, but I try and tip more if I can. Awesome. Do you tip at the, at the coffee store or coffee shops and stuff too? Or is it just like, yeah, good for always you. 20% at coffee shops. Good for you. Well, that's more generous than I am. Um, do you ever not tip? Like if service is bad, would you not tip? I don't know. Okay. I honestly, cause I feel like I know how shitty it is yeah. to work in the service industry. Sir. I think I would give, I would, I would rather leave a bad tip than no tip. Do you know how much more insulting it is actually to get a bad tip than it is that's, to get nothing? That's it's why. so true. It's that's so true. Why. Yeah. If you leave like $3 on 60, no, just tip me. You've been, yes, you're, you're right, Jay. That's a, you're the first right. person to answer that way. You're because right. Because that, that sends the message like oh, you, mes- did, a, you yeah, did a message bad job. received. You didn't hold up your end of the bargain. <laughs> yeah. Because if you stiff them, we just assume, if you stiff us, we just assume you're a cheap bastard. But if you leave j- not even 10%, we're like, yeah. Have you ever been, well, have you ever worked a tipped position? Uh, the can job was a tipped position. Okay. Which was also really weird because it's in Europe. So half the people like. Wouldn't tip, right? tipping. Okay. Right? Because it's just not a thing over there. Oh. But there were people who would tip and there were people because you're, that was like, I was really trying to ingratiate myself with these people. Sure. Try and like network. And I, then they would like not tip. And I would just be like, are you European? Or like, what's the deal? <laughs> Um, yeah. Do you just not do this? Are you just a piece of yeah. shit? Okay. And then, I mean, the the door guy job is technically tipped because I, of because of the whole booth sitch. But I'm not pushing this one. We're gonna get, we're gonna go right past it. Only we'll um, past it. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever been fired from any of your jobs? I have never been fired. It doesn't surprise from, me at all. Uh, not a service industry job, anyway. Well, the the TV stuff and so all of that doesn't. That yeah. Well, not that's not even TV stuff. Like other jobs I've had. Oh, really? I, uh, yeah, I, I quit and then I was fired. I not, well, I guess, does it count as TV if it never was actually going to be a TV show in the first place? And Still basically counts. we were just getting tricked. We, oh, Jay. Wait, really? You were getting tricked? Like you were signed on for something and then it wasn't ever going, like it wasn't ever going to be yeah. a show? That's Jay. why you don't look for production jobs on Craigslist, everybody. <laughs> Fun fact. That's how you get murdered, Jay. Don't well, be I dumb. Well, I have a bit about it on my <laughs> album. <laughs> oh, so if what do you have an album coming out jay i do, do oh that's um, so weird yeah. Let's, we'll talk about it later how interesting we'll talk about it later okay and for this section this is the last question who's the worst customer you can of in memory that you can and you could have already mentioned them but do you have a worst customer that comes to mind when i say that the worst cust i mean the uh <laughs> the bachelorette party lady that's that's who has ruined her friend's bachelorette party yeah she is the t- tip of the top for yeah. sure yeah absolutely beyond a doubt yeah I would, I would agree with that. Okay. Well, now we're going to get on to the good stuff. We hope you saved room for dessert. What was the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working in any sort of customer service position? Oh, um, gave extra money. Honestly, that's the nicest that's thing y'all nicest can do. Thing. I hope everybody hears that either buy me a plane ticket or give me money. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or ask, or this is the other nice thing is like, ask if I, well, okay, no, I actually, I do have a really good story for this. Here we go. Just give me extra money. Cause it be, cause it leads to extra money in the long run. Okay. I did a show one time at the main room. I was a development spot and I was on the clock as a door guy that night. So I remember like, you know, I was seating the room and when you have the development spot in the main room show as a door guy, it's really hectic because you have to seat the room and then you also have to go perform like, you know, you, you don't really have time. I don't know to how y'all do prep. it. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It's pure instinct. And so I did that. And this guy came up to me at the end of the show. And this is, you know, two hour long comedy show. This guy comes up to me who was sitting in the back and he came up and he was like, hey, man, I thought you were one of the funniest comics on this show. I'm putting together a writer's room for a pilot that I'm working on. I was wondering, I think you might be good for it. Are you interested in that? And I was like, yeah. And then he gave me his card. And that was how I got my first writing job. Jay, that's, so that's lovely. that's the nicest thing that somebody ever did. Yeah, I'm going to amend this because a lot of us are trying to get into entertainment, not necessarily as comics, but just work as actors or writers or whatever. Like, 
that's actually the nicest thing you can do is give someone work long term. Get me the fuck out this job. Whatever that looks like is the nicest thing you can do. Okay, cool. Yeah. Who's the best customer that you've ever interacted with besides the person that gave you the job? Besides the person that gave me a job? Yeah. I always liked regulars, you know, because after a while, yeah, there were regulars who like, especially for roast battle. Oh, sure. People who would come by regularly. And so you always like hook them up with the same seats or people who you like know are going to come into the club and they're always going to like, all right, we know they're coming to this show at this time. We're going to hook them up. We're going to make sure we get them like they get a nice booth tonight right or they make sure they get like front row if they if they are somebody who likes to go sit in the front row or people who i'd like you know after a while there'd be people who like i would let in for free just because see you're there enough you're enterprising jay i think a lot of door people miss that opportunity because i think you you have your head on a swivel when it comes to that stuff and forget i think a lot of door door people forget that a, you don't really know who you're interacting with. So they may be dressed down, but they might be, you know, CEO of fill in the blank that I always find servers do the same thing. And I'm like, you're an idiot, but also not paying attention to who's regularly there and who tips well, or who has an interest in the show. I, I think a lot of door guys are just bitter and they've been there too long. And so they don't take the opportunity to be like, okay, am I interacting with a potential business opportunity? And you right. do that really well. So that doesn't surprise me that you knew to do that. Okay. What is the best lesson that you have personally learned from customer service, not from TV or whatever? The best lesson I have learned from customer service is to not be afraid to assert yourself. That's a, now, a great answer. Okay. I I grew up and I spent a lot of my life being very much like a doormat. Mm, same. People pleaser kind of a person. Sure. And working at the comedy store and then also like, you know, personal growth and stuff had to change that. And the comedy store is a great place for me to figure out like, Oh, I have to tell people to not do things. <laughs> I have to tell people to not treat me or other people a certain way. Sure. And I think it's it's a job that like I'm I'm glad that I've had that experience and that I got thrown into it early on where I had to be like, "Oh yeah, I have to I have to make sure that I like speak up mm. and and not just try and like, cus- the customer is not always right." Come on. Come on. I agree with you. I agree with you. But they act as if they are. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite, especially at the comedy store, too, one of my favorite, this wasn't me. I I saw this happen. One of my favorite things that I ever saw was um, Eric, one of the managers, when he was still like manager instead of higher up uh, like he is now. There was somebody who we had kicked out and he was there, you know, he was the manager on duty. We kick him out of the club. They're in the OR staircase on their way out. And they're like, we're never coming back. We're going to leave a bad review on Yelp. And Eric says, fucking cool. <laughs> I don't give a shit about Yelp. Because <laughs> why? Oh, my God. I'm named in several of those Yelp reviews as being terrible. So I love I love that he has the appropriate relationship to Yelp. Yeah, you're one person. Like, you, you saw some of the best comics in the world for $20. Stop. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, what's one piece of advice you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers? Tip well. Hello. For the love of God. Hello. Mm-hmm. This, this, I learned this because I saw what the shit y'all had to go through all the time was. There's, it's such a crazy thing to, especially at like a bar or a nightclub where you know, the, the standard thing you're thinking about when you're interacting with a server at a restaurant is like, maybe you're talking to them a lot, right? And mm-hmm. maybe they have like, you got like a rapport or whatever, right? Or maybe it's the kind of thing where it's like super high end and they're not they're like, they're barely there. It's just, but it's one of those things where that's a different kind of thing that people think about compared to like at a bar or a nightclub where there's like drink servers or bartenders who are super busy. You're not really talking to them. Those people deserve your fucking tips too, because they are working hard. And because you, you don't see how hard they're working compared to like a regular restaurant serving job. Come on, Jay. Come on, Jay. Yes. So tip those people. Well, treat them well. Mm, They deserve it. Well, okay. So how can people get in touch with you, Jay? Are you one of the comics that's touring right now? Do you have a date to go back? And do you happen to have an album coming out that people can hear? I do happen to have an album coming out. What? Album is out 
on all of the places where you get music. It's called Good Guy with a Gun. Uh, dropped August 14th. August 14th. Okay. Yes. Okay. So you can buy it. You can stream it. You can you know listen to it through a, a tin can or whatever. <laughs> um, I... I am not sure when I'll be going back and performing regularly again. All the live standup is kind of piecemeal right now. I've done a few live shows, but nothing substantial. You. Okay. But yeah, the album, if you want to hear, and it, the beauty of the album is it's not just standup. It's standup, it's sketches, it's a roast battle. What? It's all cooked together into this beautiful comedy concoction by Coach T, who's the roast battle DJ oh, and a great producer. Yeah. So the album captures what I do in a bunch of different aspects of comedy. And I think it's a really special piece of piece of comedy. Piece and of I, art. I, shit. Yeah, it is. Good for We're you. elevating the shit. Yeah. You know, I don't want to just be another white guy telling jokes. I don't want I don't want that. Well, especially now, be, Jay. <laughs> well, another white guy touching kids and telling jokes. That's those different. are it's different things. Other, those are different things. I promise. <laughs> I have nothing but uh, great things to say about this album. And I would say it anyway, but legitimately, I think this is a great album that you should listen to. You will like it. You will find some unique stuff in there. Okay. Even if you're tired of just seeing another white guy telling jokes. I'm more than that. Yeah, you are. You are that you were more than that anyway. And you're also I can vouch. Jay is hilarious. One of my favorite door guys to see and one of my favorite stand ups to watch. And so it's oh. so funny that um, I had you on my list of people to ask to be on the podcast. And I was like, that's eh, not gonna be possible. Well, whatever. And so I just let it go. And then when we reconnected for this, I was like, I looked back at my guest list. And I was like, that's so funny that I had him on here for like a year and just never asked. Anyway, so Jay is hilarious. It's good guy with a gun. Did I get it that's right? That's right. Okay, amazing. Mm -hmm. So Jay, uh, what's your social media? How do people find you other than your album that's coming out? You can find me at Diet J on Twitter and Instagram. Album is available at those links as well. So you'll be able to see all that stuff. And then if you want to go see some other things, jlightcomedy.com for future show dates and any weird online stuff that I'm doing right now, of awesome. which there are a couple things. I love to hear that. And it's D-I-E-T-J-A-Y, right? Not That's right. Okay, cool. Yep. Cool. Well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends to listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled in the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here at Service from Hell, send us your receipts at servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thanks, Jay. This was great. You, Appreciate you. Uh, you mentioned that you have some, you have a ghost story from the comedy store as if it were haunted. Could you tell us that ghost story? Oh boy. The comedy store haunted. Um, <laughs> Brand new I have, I have two and they're quick because okay. one involves me directly. And then one just involves something that happened a night that I was working. Okay. First one was I, uh, the comedy stores haunted all over the place, apparently with different kinds of ghosts. The main room was the old Ciro's. Uh, so there's a lot of like 1920s LA mob related ghosts there, right? And I uh, I was cleaning up in there one night. It was it was the deep dark hours of the morning, like one or two in the morning almost. I walk into the main room lobby, all the lights are off. I'm using my phone as a flashlight and I see something in the main room lobby fly up and go behind the uh, counter. Oh, come, come on, come on. It was like just a whoof, like a little sheet of something. And I went and I looked and there was nothing back there. And then I just turned and I literally I turned off my light and then I I, I ran out the front door. Oh, I would have. I got chills right now. Ooh. Like, nope. Nope. I'm, I'm out. Oh, second one. Shout out to I was working the back door when this happened. So Stephen Randolph, another door guy, he was working in this in the club uh, in the OR. OK. And Jesus Trejo was on stage. Oh, I love Jesus. And he said that this was this was late. This was like 1215 or 1230, I think, was when Jesus' slot was. So he said he felt something cold on his like his shoulder or his back. And there's the air conditioning vent right by the, the OR stage. Right. And so he yells to see, he's like, hey, Steve, did, you, did the air conditioning just kick on? And he goes, and the air conditioning was not on. Ooh. And so Randolph takes a photo of 
Jesus on stage. And then he looks at the photo and there's a little orb. Stop. Like a little wisp Jay. or something floating behind Jesus. Stop it. I saw this photo. He showed it Jesus. Jesus didn't come back to the club for two weeks. Come on. What? I mean, that that would... Oh. oh. Okay, thank you. That's perfect. That's going to be this...